All right, welcome. How's everybody doing? Bright and early. This is the early crowd, I take it. I think I saw some of you out there running as well. I think there was a 4K or something. Well, welcome to uh, reInvent. If this is your first time at reInvent, welcome. If this is your, not your first time, welcome back. My name's Henry Hahn. I'm going to take you through Dev203 today. I think technically this is a repeat, but uh, the original talk is actually not until Thursday, so you're welcome to come back to that talk, to this talk as well. Um, I'm going to be taking you through over the next uh, 50 minutes-ish uh, of talking about how we at Amazon launch applications. So this is a 200-level talk. I'm going to spend a fair bit of time talking about concepts, and then maybe towards the, the end, I'm going to show some demos to make this maybe a little bit more concrete. Uh, just actually a quick show of hands. How many of you have heard of the term DevOps? Okay. I, I will say that that is, in terms of uh, rounding, we'll round that up to 100%. Um, how many of you actually practice DevOps within your organizations? Okay. F fewer hands, but uh, quite a few of them. We're going to talk about DevOps and what DevOps means, why DevOps is important, how Amazon uses DevOps, and how you can get started. That's going to be the overall flow of the talk here. Um, and like I said, we're going to do some demos to give you a feel for some of the tools that we provide to enable you and your organizations to take advantage of agile uh, development methodologies. Uh, before I jump into all this, a uh, couple things. We're going to do some Q&A uh, Q at the end. So um, if you end up having questions, we'll have about 10 minutes at the end. There's a microphone over here. If you could come up to the microphone at the end for those questions, and everybody can hear it. Um, two, uh, we are recording this, so you will have an opportunity to find us on YouTube later on so you don't have to frantically take notes or you can put your GoPro down or whatever it is you, you need to do to record. And then uh, finally, we do evaluations for all these talks, so if you wouldn't mind filling out evaluations after the talk, that really helps us improve talks in the future uh, and gives us important feedback. All right, so let's go ahead and get started. This, hopefully, is a no-duh slide. There is probably nothing surprising in that, four, uh, that sentence of four uh, words. Software is moving faster than it ever has. It will probably be moving faster tomorrow and a year from now. And that's important because organizations that uh, have uh, software at the center of their business or even to support their business really can uh, move as fast or only are moving as fast as their software can be delivered. And that can mean time between the code that's being written to the code that's actually moving to production. And this is important not only for large organizations, but for smaller organizations. And you can even see that you know, small startups that have little funding can still deliver software quickly and to millions of customers. So this is a huge opportunity for businesses to move faster and stay competitive. So really, that's the context uh, by which we talk about you know, the Amazon uh, story for how we launch and build applications. It's really about how do we you know, make that a very efficient process so that we can stay uh, uh, competitive and move quickly. So before we jump in further, I want to I talk about um, DevOps, not in more detail yet, but to talk about DevOps and what are the benefits are. In 2015, Puppet Labs actually, let's see, did I, there we go. In 2015, Puppet Labs actually ran a survey of high-performing IT organizations, and they found some interesting statistics. They saw that organizations um, that were using DevOps not only deployed faster, they had shorter lead times, they had fewer failures, and they were also faster to recover. Now, all of these are components to the software delivery process and the software delivery process being efficient. So being able to deploy frequently, we're going to talk about why that's important. We're going to talk about shorter lead times, how you actually you know, quickly get that software out to production. We're going to talk about failures. Failures happen. That's, that's kind of part of the process. But we're going to talk about how you reduce failures and then also how you recover if there are problems. So that's kind of the overall context. Those are pretty interesting statistics uh, here. We'll, we'll talk about some more uh, in just a little bit. But that's, that is the context, moving uh, the software process along as quickly as you can while keeping it safe and reliable so that you can deliver value to your customers more quickly. 
All right, so I've been using this term. Normally, when you use a term, you're supposed to define it first, but we're going to spend a whole bunch of time on that. And what is DevOps? It's, it's this term uh, that has been used in lots of different contexts. I'm going to talk about it at, at a fairly high level, and I'm going to focus on three big categories. And I focus on these categories because we at Amazon see these as some of the most important parts. These are, one, a set of cultural philosophies. So within uh, organizations, there are different philosophies about how to approach problems. When we think of DevOps, there are a specific set of philosophies that we think of and we think are very important. There are a set of practices, so very practically, what is the process for DevOps? Um, and then finally, what are the tools that are used within that process? So it's really these three pieces that we keep in mind when we talk about DevOps. So cultural, cultural philosophies, the practices of DevOps, and then the tools that we use to enable DevOps. DevOps culture. So DevOps is development or developer and operations, development and operations, just kind of combined. And what this really is about is combining the development process and operations. So we'll say historically, development and operations have been separate. You had software application, you know, writing the code, and then you've had potentially infrastructure, the IT where this application is running. In a DevOps model, we actually combine these two things. And this is important for a number of reasons. The, the item that we say here is shared responsibility. That's really a, a fundamental part of the ownership of somebody delivering a feature and owning that feature effectively all the way until it gets to production. And not just production as in the code is out in production, but the code is running and it's working and customers can use that. And that's very different than, say, writing some code in isolation and then handing that off to somebody and hoping that it's running correctly in the production environments. So that is one of the core elements, one of the key uh, aspects of the cultural uh, philosophies. It's that ownership and that end-to-end -end responsibility for those features. Uh, another really big important part is visibility and communication. Visibility really is part and parcel of that ownership. When you're delivering a feature, you need to understand how is that feature, when it's checked in and delivered all the way to production, how is that feature, uh, how is that actually working in production? Is it responsive? Is it available? Um, you know, can customers successfully use that feature? So you need to have really good visibility. And a large part of DevOps is visibility into your application and visibility into the infrastructure that ties that all together. All right, so that, that was the high level on the cultural aspects. Now we'll talk about the practices. Many of you have probably heard about microservices. Um, really one of the key patterns for DevOps is making sure the components that make up your application, each constituent part, whether it's a, a back-end layer and a front-end layer, are broken up into small enough pieces that they're easy to update, they're easy to maintain, they're easy to monitor, and it's you know, possible for somebody to look at it, a potential end-to-end -end problem and understand all the pieces. When you've got a large monolithic architecture, it becomes much more difficult. So one of the key practices of DevOps is moving to this microservices architecture. And we see that this is possible not only for uh, existing, I'm sorry, with new applications, but for existing applications as well. I've heard some interesting stories. I was once asked, I think, about um, how somebody turned a 50-year-old mainframe COBOL application into a microservices architecture. Some are a little bit more complicated than others. Sometimes it won't even make sense to necessarily take, uh, take that step. But certainly, many applications can take adva advantage of these pa uh, the microservices pattern. Now, when you have a microservices architecture and you're rapidly making updates, you need a process to make those updates in a reliable way. Every time uh, you would deploy, if you're deploying manually, that's an opportunity for an error. Uh, automation is a key to solving some of these problems or really eliminating human error from things like deployment. And if you're deploying frequently, which is a good thing in terms of delivering features and improving your software velocity, 
it really makes sense to automate this because you want to reduce those failures as much as possible. So one of the practices that you uh, may have heard of as well is some form of continuous integration, continuous delivery, deployment. And what this is really about is checking in code and having that code automatically move through the different stages required to get to production, to get to your customers. So that might be check in source, have the source built, have the uh, built code tested, move it to maybe a uh, beta environment where it can be tested further, and then once you've decided that the quality is at the level that you want, you can then move that into production. So you want to make that process as seamless, as fast, and as sort of foolproof as possible. So that is a, another big part of the DevOps practices. Now before I mention that in a, in a cloud-based application or a, a um, sort of modern application with microservices, not only do you have the application code and the features, but you have the infrastructure where that code is running. Now when you're running in the cloud, infrastructure is really just code. You can provision new infrastructure through code. So we have a practice that we call infrastructure as code. And what that really means is rather than somebody manually provisioning servers or, or setting up infrastructure, you can actually deploy infrastructure the same way that you deploy your code. We have a service called AWS CloudFormation that lets you uh, define templates, reasonable templates for your infrastructure. So if you know the server types that you like and you know the VPC that you're gonna use and you know the SQS or the, the, the queuing technologies that are going to be used, you can source control that you can deploy that in the same way, so you have a full record of all the versions that have been deployed, and combine the process of deploying your code and your infrastructure together. Now, one of the last uh, big pieces of DevOps, I mentioned visibility and communication. Your, your application running in the cloud is kind of this living and breathing thing. It's code, it's infrastructure, it has uh, you know, an experience that your customers have in terms of latency, you know, the distance they have between where they're at and where, you're, where your application is running. So you really need to have good visibility into the end-to-end -end experience customers are having. And that comes about with logging and metrics and really the visibility that would uh, tell you if something's wrong. You can, of course, set alarms to be notified if a problem does occur. And when problems do occur, because they, they will occur, you have metrics and logs to help you figure out what's going on so you can quickly resolve that. So that is one of the other really big pieces of the DevOps story in terms of the processes. All right. So we've talked about cultural practices or cultural philosophies. We talked about some of these practices. Let's talk about uh, the tools, actually. I guess to summarize all this, um, in terms of the benefits, there are a lot of benefits, and those are the benefits that really accrue to helping you move your software into production more quickly. Okay, actually, now we're gonna talk about some of the tools. Uh, but jumping into that, I wanna talk a little bit about how Amazon arrived where it's at today. You will hear about a lot of launches this week. Uh, you're probably trying new services. You may have already heard about a bunch of product launches that we've had before reInvent. The teams that are delivering these are using the practices that we're about to talk about, and I'm just gonna tell you a little bit of the history of how we got there and, and why we're using those practices. So uh, between 2001 and 2009, Amazon went under kind of a large transformation in terms of how we delivered software. So we went from a more monolithic, hierarchical organizational uh, structure and application structure to one that is more microservices-based. And having now worked in AWS for about six years, you, know, you see this all over the place. This really comes down to the decoupled services, that's the microservices model, and we internally use what we call the two-pizza team model. Now, if you haven't heard this phrase, basically what that means is teams are structured to be about the size that can be fed with two pizzas. Um, we don't specify what type of toppings on those pizzas, but you know, that is the size of the teams that we think about when we think about delivering these. And that's about the size that we see works well in terms of understanding their particular component 
and taking full ownership of that experience. So we made this set of changes and we saw a dramatic improvement in the overall process. It's much easier to maintain and update microservices than large monolithic uh, applications. It's much easier, easier to, to move faster. But we also saw that there was an opportunity potentially to do even better. So in 2009, we actually ran a study, um, and it's actually called Understanding Amazon's Software Development Process Through Data. It was, uh, I think John Rouser was the, the author. You can go find this. But we did this study to try to understand where there might still be inefficiencies. Amazon is about data, using that data to understand how we can improve. So that's what this was about. And we found some interesting things. Um, the process was taking longer than we wanted to, from code to being delivered. And what we ended up discovering is there was a lot of waiting. Now, uh, waiting in software is, uh, is usually not something you want, especially when you're trying to move fast. So when we looked at this, we saw that after somebody wrote some code, they were waiting for feedback from somebody else. Maybe that was a code review. Uh, so they're waiting to get feedback on the code review. And then they make the changes and they try again. They were you know, cutting tickets and they were sending emails, trying to get this response. Okay, well finally they get their code reviewed. Now it's time to build it. Well, they send it off to somebody else to build it. And they have to wait for that and maybe they wait hours, maybe they wait days. Somebody finally builds it, they look at the results, fix anything that might be an issue, and then it's time to you know, move that off to test it and deploy it. So you can see all these things start adding up. So there's time writing code, there's time waiting for somebody else to look at that code, so on and so forth. And what we ended up seeing is there was a lot of waiting. We're, we're, you know, this is not minutes of waiting, this is hours and days of waiting potentially. And what we wanted to do was figure out how we reduce that time as much as possible. And more specifically, we're trying to figure out how do we reduce or eliminate the amount of time that we're waiting on humans to do certain things. So our little red X is here basically saying any wait time, we're waiting for somebody else to do something, we want to automate. We want to figure out how do we get rid of that process of waiting for somebody. So, um, so 2009, uh, we see this potentially large problem that's going to really scale you know, very widely across the company to benefit in terms of moving faster. Uh, these are not uh, new technologies that you just go find off the shelf. So we actually ended up needing to build our own tools for this. Uh, that's actually what we're going to get into. But we ended up building all the pieces that were necessary to get that software delivered, to take that human element uh, from taking so long and to really automate it. So that's really what we're going to talk about. But just to give you an idea of how much um, this has accelerated Amazon and what that means, what these tools have meant, uh, I'm going to give you a number, 50 million. Every year, Amazon deploys more than 50 million times. So in the time that I've, talking, I'm, I've been talking, uh, on average, we've probably deployed a few thousand times. Uh, I think that works out to, I, I stuck this in my note slide, I think that's 95 deployments a minute. So this is happening across Amazon, across thousands of teams, uh, that's really part of the process of moving faster, moving the software development process faster to deliver more for customers. All right. So you might not be looking to get your organization to a place where you're deploying 50 million times a year or every 1.5 seconds, but you might be interested in making it faster than it is today. So that's what we're going to jump into now. But the big question that most customers have is, how do I get started? Now, you may be uh, already using DevOps, so hopefully you'll see some pieces that you can use. You may be starting brand new. So I'm going to focus a little bit more on the, the brand new in terms of just learning about DevOps and talk about what are the pieces that go into that and what do we offer to help you uh, accomplish that. We have uh, four key services that we provide today that are uh, fundamental building blocks of this DevOps uh, process. And those are AWS Code Commit, AWS Code Build, AWS Code Deploy, and AWS Code Pipeline. We'll, we'll talk about those in more details. But these are really 
the key pieces. And these tools really came about from the internal tools that we built at Amazon to enable the DevOps model. And we'll talk about where each one of these fits. And there was a slide a, a little while ago talking about continuous integration and deployment and delivery. And I'll, I'll kind of talk through how each of these fits into that picture. So fundamentally, the development process is about source, building, testing, and, and production. That's, a, that's an oversimplification. But those are the basic principles. So you have source code. You build that source code. It's not, not always built, but frequently built or packaged. You then want to test that code. And then you want to have it deployed. And that is the process. So let's, let's talk about each one of the services. AWS CodeCommit is a Git-based repository technology. So this is how your source code is versioned and controlled. So AWS CodeCommit can be used on its own as its own source repository. Uh, it is uh, just standard Git. Um, and we'll show a little bit of that usage later on here but fairly straightforward. One of the things that we do really well at Amazon in terms of the key uh, qualities of, of services is scalability, availability, durability. So these are all aspects of code commit, I'm sorry, of AWS services that are built into code commit. So this is a managed uh, source repository technology, so you don't have to worry about running your own servers or worrying about scale. We take care of that for you. So that's, that's the, the source aspect of this process. About a year ago, in fact, it was, uh, I think it was at reInvent last year, we launched a service called, called AWS Code Build. Uh, if you've ever run a build server or managed a build server, think of this as the managed version of that. There's no, there's no server for you to manage with Code Build. It is a service that is provided uh, as a part of this process. Uh, you pay only for the minutes you use. So there's no infrastructure that you stand up. You literally submit jobs to be built. There's an output and a result, and you only pay for the time that uh, it took to actually do the, the build process there. In terms of tests, you can actually go write your own unit tests. That can be part of your build process. But we also provide integration with third-party testing tools. So we have a number of partnerships that we've set up that let you quickly, in, uh, uh, sorry, quickly integrate testing into your overall process, whether that's some type of integration testing or some type of health check testing. We provide a lot of capabilities as a part of this process that are integrated. And we'll talk about this uh, a little bit more with the last service I'll talk about. But before I get to that, now you want to deploy this code, the de deploy these built artifacts to production. So I talked about that 50 million deployments every year that Amazon does. We've taken that experience and that technology and delivered that in a service called AWS Code Deploy. And really what Code Deploy lets you do is it lets you deliver to uh, any uh, EC2 instance. EC2 is our, our virtual server technology. Or if you're running on another provider or you're running on premises, you can deploy to those as well. So that's Code Deploy. Now there is a key service that now pulls all these things together. And that's called AWS Code Pipeline. The process from source all the way to production is really an orchestration of steps. And that's shown here in this diagram of source build test production. Well, if you have source that's in built, and if there's a problem with build, you obviously don't want that to proceed. But if it is successful, you do want it to proceed. So AWS Code Pipeline is the service that stitches all of these things together and helps you move that along in an automated way. And we'll, we'll talk about that in a little bit more detail uh, in just a moment. But there is a fifth service uh, that we launched actually earlier this year um, that helps put this entire picture together. And you may have heard of it. It's called AWS CodeStar. So AWS CodeStar is really a layer on top of these services. Now, if you're using uh, AWS CodeBuild or CodeCommit or code pipeline or code deploy, you can use each one of these individually if you like. You don't, you don't have to use them all together. If you decide, for example, you want to use uh, GitHub and, and code pipeline and code deploy, you can just use those pieces. These are, these are very mix and match. We offer, a, uh, we offer CodeStar, which pulls all these things together to take care of all the configuration and to take care of all the details that might normally be involved if you want to get up and running really quickly. 
And CodeStar includes the source, so there's a sample source. We'll, we'll take a look at that here in a minute. It includes the entire configuration of that tool chain of source all the way to production with your code pipeline. And it also includes the provisioning of your infrastructure, so the definition of the infrastructure where that application is running. So what it really enables you to do is start and run and deploy an application in just a few minutes. Um, and we'll talk about that in more detail here. Okay, I mentioned we're gonna do some demos. Um, it's, it's not quite the halfway mark, so I, I beat my own um, uh, attempt to get, get to this before halfway through. But I'm gonna walk through some demos here. If you see things that you have questions about, uh, again, we'll have an opportunity to ask some questions at the end. But I'm gonna go ahead and start some quick demos here. I'm showing you AWS CodeStar. It, it encapsulates everything, uh, as I mentioned. But you can go use the individual services on their own. This is kind of going to give you the, the overview of those things. So if you visit um, the AWS console and go to slash CodeStar, this is what you'd see if you'd never put together a CodeStar project before. I'm going to go ahead and click Start a Project here. And the first thing that we're gonna give you is a set of templates based on uh, your language, the compute environment where you run, and the application type. Now, CodeStar focuses on services, um, web services and web applications, uh, as well as some other, uh, like static websites, uh, for this process. Those, that's where a lot of this process is, this DevOps process is most beneficial. And I'll just show you a few of these real quickly. You can choose from a variety of languages, uh, Ruby, Node, Java, Python, PHP. We actually added uh, C Sharp that's not included here, but that's also available for .NET Core-based projects. And then uh, if you're not familiar with these service names, that's okay, but you could choose where you want this application to be running. So uh, AWS Beanstalk, uh, sorry, Elastic Beanstalk is our managed uh, uh, virtual server environment. Uh, you can use Amazon EC2, which is our just you uh, manage the virtual server yourself. Or for those of you who are interested in serverless technologies, we also support projects based on Lambda, which is, uh, think of those as, as functions in the cloud that don't require a server. So I'll go ahead and pick one of these. We'll pick uh, Node. You can just see this is an easy way to, to filter down. So I'm gonna go ahead and pick a Node.js web application that runs on Lambda. Now, once you've picked your project, all you have to do is give this thing a name. That's the, that's the entire uh, length of, of the process here. I'll go ahead and add a name. So you give it a project name, and then you hit Create Project. Once you've hit Create Project, we're actually now in the process of provisioning everything. So remember, there was the source code, there is the tool chain, and there's the infrastructure where your application is going to be running. Now, you're at some point, going to probably want to edit that application, to edit the source code or edit some aspect of that application. So before we even get you started, we help you figure out how to connect to that project. We have integrations with Visual Studio, uh, Eclipse, and of course, you can just use command line tools. So I'm gonna show you how that works here. And what we do is we give you sort of simplified instructions for just going ahead and getting started without having to jump out to documentation. I'm gonna go ahead and show you how that works. I'm gonna go ahead and copy this. Let's see. We'll jump to the next slide, the next page here. So at this point, I have a repository that's been created. My source code repository, it's using code commit, has been created, it's in the cloud. And now I can copy that code down, I can clone that locally. And what we basically do is we give you the, you just paste this in, press. There we go. So these are fairly small projects to get started. It's just a sample, but demonstrates enough that you can see a running application. We'll go ahead and uh, jump back over. Uh, but that's it. I, I've basically, I've created the copy on my source code, on my uh, local environment. So once you're done with that, the process of creating the application is literally just waiting for it to finish provisioning. 
and there we go. With CodeStar, we basically have now created all the, the source code that you need, the infrastructure, and the tooling, and we drop you into this dashboard that helps you understand what you've got in your project, um, things that are uh, going to be useful as you continue sort of DevOps model, this DevOps approach. So the first thing is I'm going to show you that there's an actual running application here. So I have this application endpoints. I'll click on that guy. And there we go. So this is a live application. I've, I've launched a live application. It's running in the cloud. This is a serverless application. I mentioned I'm using AWS Lambda. But everything I've needed to get that application up and running is now there. So if you go and try this right now, if you go and try this after the talk, you will see something uh, uh, very similar. I think the only reason it might look different is I think the color of the background on this changes based on the time of the day. But you will see the Space Needle. All right. So we'll go ahead and close that. Okay. Um, the, the application is now running. Now the thing that I'm probably going to want to do is understanding what's there and, and get ready to make some changes to it. So let me show you the, the dashboard. So this dashboard we were just taking a look at includes a whole bunch of different pieces. There's some introduction uh, element. Uh, you know, welcome to reInvent is the name of my project. I've got the endpoints. We've got a team wiki tile here. So this is something that you can go edit and add your own content. Maybe you have uh, links internally that you want your team to be able to share. You can edit that. It's just uh, markdown. But down here, I've actually got this continuous deployment tile. And what this is, is it's showing the stages that I have in that flow. Remember I talked about code pipeline as being sort of this orchestration of steps. We've created that for you, starting from source to build to deployment. And the source is code commit, the build is code build, and then the deployment in this particular case, we're using um, something called CloudFormation to do that deployment. But this all starts basically from a commit that happens. You commit code and this process begins. Okay. Okay, so you've got this project set up, and you're learning about DevOps, you want to actually go make a change to the application. What does that actually look like? Let's, let's walk through an example. I switch here. So I'm, I'm back at my command line. You can use whatever tool you want to edit the code that's on your local machine. Uh, I'm going to use um, uh, just a simple text editor. So let's go ahead and look at... What's, so I've got, in this directory, I've got a buildspec.yaml, index.js, a public folder, readme.md, and a template.yaml. These are all the pieces of the application. Um, if you go look at the readme.md, you'll have more details about what's actually contained in that project. I'm not going to go over that right now. But I am going to show um, editing uh, this index.js. The index.js file is the Lambda function itself. So if you've used Lambda before, this will look familiar. If you haven't, it's just code. So this is very simple. Our, our basic application that comes with CodeStar uh, basically just loads a static page. That's, that's all that you saw there. But it wasn't just a static page loading. It was the Lambda code loading that page from S3. So I'm going to go ahead and... Um, I'm going to make some small changes here, and all I'm going to do, let's see, I'm going to comment out that content that's being loaded. I'm going to, let's see, add uh, some just plain string text. That, that is actually going to be the payload for my application. So I've now taken out the um, space needle, and I've now included just a simple string. And what you can see here is, that I'm going to respond with a 200 status code. Uh, I'm basically going to two-string the contents and um, specify the content type. So now what I can do is I can save this out. I'm saving this out. So I've saved this. I've now changed this locally. What I need to do now is add that change and commit that change and then ultimately push it. So just add that change. I'm just going to add a simple message for what that change was. So I've committed that change. And now the last thing is to push it. Now you might not, I'm showing this for demo purposes, you might create a pull request instead of uh, pushing this change directly, but we'll go ahead and 
git push. All right. So at this point, what's happened is I've changed the code locally. I've then committed and pushed that code to my cloud-based repository. That is actually going to trigger the process for that application to start the build and deployment process. And if everything's successful, then we actually see a different application rather than our old Space Needle. Let's see, okay. So this deployment process, um, you can take different amounts of time depending on how complicated these applications are. I have sort of fast forwarded through this because it takes about two minutes for that deployment process to happen, uh, starting with source to build and then ultimately deployment. So let's go ahead and I'm gonna switch over to the application. And there you go. I probably should have added a font size to that. If you can't see it, it says hello world in very, very small text. But that is the same application, just a few simple uh, code changes and that's automatically been deployed. So you could actually go visit this application yourself and see that that's there. Now let's jump back to the slides. Now one of the, the aspects that I talked about in the DevOps model is the ability for there to be um, you know, communication and collaboration. Tools like uh, CodeCommit or Git-based source repositories are a fundamental piece of that collaboration. It allows teams to work together to make code changes and deploy, deploy those changes without breaking each other or uh, having um, you know, somebody go and touch production code and somebody else not know about it. So that, that's really what this is about. So we wanted to enable even more in terms of the collaboration aspect of uh, DevOps in CodeStar, so we made it easy to add team members. Now, if you've ever worked with uh, permissions and you know, the authorization and authentication aspects of uh, AWS, you know, you know it's a very powerful piece of technology that allows you to really lock down specific pieces. But when you've got a whole bunch of pieces that you're bringing together, including code commit, code build, um, code pipeline, and the resources uh, that are underneath that, that can be a fairly cumbersome process. So we've simplified that for those who are interested in this by adding a sort of coarse grained team um, member uh, add functionality. And really, we've broken it down into three key type of, types of roles, kind of like an administrator, we call a project owner, uh, a contributor who can change most things of the project, um, like they can commit source code and make changes to the application. And then we have basically those that are viewers, those that can see the uh, entire project but can't make changes. So I'm just gonna show you quickly what that looks like. So if you're in a CodeStar project, we have this little Teams tab on the left-hand side here. If you click on that, you'll see this project team uh, page. And I'm the project owner, I created this project, but I wanna go and add somebody else. And uh, I'm gonna add my friend Leo. So I can click add team member here, click down here. Now Leo is a new user, Leo is, uh, uh, somebody that I don't have a user for in my system. So what I need to do first is create an IAM user. If you're familiar with IAM, that is the foundational technology for authorization on AWS. Our team-based permissions is built on IAM. So this is, this is not a different technology, it's using the same technology, we just simplified this process for you. So I'm gonna go ahead and create a new IAM user. What we'll do is we'll, we'll pop up just a little dialogue. Now what we're gonna do is take some basic information and we're gonna help you create that IAM user rather than you jumping over to a different console and creating that user separately and then worrying about different types of permissions. So I'm gonna fill this in quickly. Now I've added uh, Leo here. Um, I'm gonna make him a contributor. So you gotta make him a viewer or an, uh, an owner or a contributor. I'm gonna allow um, Leo to change code here, so. Now, what I've done is uh, basically added the basic information that IAM needs for me to create a user. And all I do at this point, I'm actually in the IAM console, but we've taken you all the way there. I can just hit create user. And what that does is it creates the IAM user, I hit close, and it actually pops you back. Leo now has access to my project. And more specifically, Leo has access to just the resources within this project. So maybe you want Leo to be able to use the account but there are certain pieces of it that you don't want him using. Uh, the, resource, the permissions that we've now applied apply only to the resources in this project. All right. 
Okay. Okay. So at this point, I've, I've covered most of the, the foundational pieces of these services. Uh, uh, we've talked about code commit. We've talked about code build. We've talked about code deploy and code pipeline. I showed you CodeStar, which sits on top of that. Uh, these are all the, the, the pieces that you can try it yourself. If you're just starting, CodeStar might be the place for you to start learning about things. Uh, if you're more familiar with these, maybe you're just looking for a, a build solution, a managed build solution that scales elastically where you only pay for the time that you're using it, code build could be the answer for you. If you're looking for a highly available and highly scalable source technology, that could be code commit. What's great about um, these is it is very mix and match. You use what you want to use. You don't have to adopt all the pieces together. You pick what you need, what you want, and you can start from there. If you're already you know, much farther down the, the DevOps uh, approach and you've got a lot of existing tools, maybe you decide that you want, uh, say, code build. You just want code build. You can use just code build. Maybe you're on the other end of the spectrum and you're just getting started and you want all of the things together. That might be where you start with CodeStar. So it's really up to you. It's this spectrum that really makes it easy for you to decide what are the pieces that you want. All right. Um, there are some features I didn't show uh, here. Let's see. There we go that we've launched recently. Um, some of these are within the last uh, few weeks. Some of them are actually in the last few days. So I just wanted to highlight those. If you've tried the existing uh, code services before, and maybe there's a feature that you didn't get that you're, you've been interested in, I just wanted to highlight a few. Um, one, well, actually, one that I didn't talk about in CodeStar, there's actually a JIRA integration. So if you wanted to include your existing uh, JIRA uh, projects with, you, with your dashboard, you can do that. Um, we also added GitHub integration recently. So rather than using code commit, you can use GitHub. And that integration lets uh, you create new projects using your own account, uh, creating a new GitHub repository. Uh, that gives you visibility into the repository from your dashboard, but it also connects the code pipeline directly to GitHub. You can also view your issues and pull requests in the dashboards using that integration. Uh, let's see, I think it was the 20th, so just a few days ago, about a week ago, we, we announced pull requests for CodeCommit. Uh, for those of you uh, who have used CodeCommit, uh, you'll know that this has been a long uh, missing feature. Uh, we're excited to, to be able to tell you that you can now use pull requests with CodeCommit, a uh, very frequently requested feature. Uh, CodeBuild actually now integrates with GitHub to do uh, builds on pull requests. I think we announced that uh, maybe two weeks ago. Um, and then I think it was in the last week we announced uh, code build support for VPC resources. So if you have an existing VPC, maybe you have code that already exists uh, that you actually want to be built with code build, uh, but you want to keep that in your VPC, code build now supports that. So those are some of the new updates that we have in the last few weeks. And... Um, Wrapping up here, I wanted to point you to some other sessions that are happening this week. This was a 200-level session, so uh, we, we drilled into some of the details. I tried to keep it a little bit higher level, though. But if you're interested in more details, there are a number of talks that are being given by my colleagues uh, about different aspects of what I've talked about here. So just highlighting some of those. Um, today... There's Achieving DevOps with Microservices-Based Architectures. Uh, that is at 145. Life of a Code Change to a Tier 1 Service. A tier 1 Service being in an AWS service that is used by other services. Excuse me. Uh, 315. Uh, how to Deploy and Scale Web Applications on AWS at, at 530 today. So that, that's today. Um, just look for any of these, these dev um, titles uh, for those types of talks. They're all in the Venetian. We've, we've kept all the, the dev ones in the Venetian here. Uh, deep dive on AWS CloudFormation. CloudFormation is our uh, infrastructure source technology I mentioned earlier in the talk. If you're interested in the CLI, you, you kind of saw me using the CLI there for a second. Uh, you can learn more about that. Continuous integration best practices for software development teams. Really good talk. Uh, I believe that's given by my colleague Mark Mansour um, tomorrow night at 7. And I, let's see, the CLI was again on Thursday. I actually give this talk again um, on Thursday, I think at 12.45. And then Friday we have a, a final talk about 
deployment techniques for uh, Amazon EC2 workloads using AWS Code Deploy. So that is it. Uh, if you want to learn more about any of these services, all of the web pages are easy to find. Uh, for CodeStar, CodeBuild, CodeCommit, CodeDeploy, and CodePipeline, check them out. You can go directly to the consoles for many of these to try them out and get started. And with that, thank you very much for your time. Thanks for getting up early and joining me. If you have questions uh, and you want to stay afterwards, feel, uh, feel free to step up to the microphone. Thank you very much. Try that? Okay. Um, I, I, so the first question I have is, um, do these pipelines integrate also with OpsWorks? With OpsWorks. Oh, so are you looking for a specific type of deployment or? A lot of times our deployments also require infrastructure changes based on data sources, think LDAP, stuff like that. Got it, got it. So uh, his question was about AWS OpsWorks. OpsWorks is another AWS service that helps you manage uh, deployments to your servers. Uh, so Code Pipeline actually provides a number of different integration points. So um, I talked about Code Deploy. You can also use CloudFormation. So you can actually have CloudFormation actions. So you can deploy new infrastructure. So that's depending on what you're actually trying to deploy and change, you could use that. Um, you can also use, um, let's see, there's a Lambda uh, invocation that you can use. So if you have some custom steps that you want to carry out, you can actually use that. So as a, a follow-on stage, let's say after you get done building and maybe some unit tests, and you actually want to you know, take some custom action, you can actually call your own Lambda function. At that point, it's your own code. So you can decide what you actually want accomplished. Those are going to be the, the, uh, the best ways to do that. There isn't a direct uh, OpsWorks uh, integration. Um, out of curiosity, is it, is it just you have some uh, changes from code that you want to drive uh, infrastructure changes to? Some of it is that way. Some of it is because uh, an application will require new custom schemas. Um, so the, the products are separate. Right. But you still need to make sure that those two things go out at the same time. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, the, the Lambda one might be the uh, process there. Um, trying to think. You, there, uh, several of the steps, like code build has pre and post steps. So you can basically run your own CLI commands uh, if you want. So the, take a look at Code Pipeline um, with Code Build, uh, Lambda, CloudFormation. Uh, code Deploy might also have some pre and post uh, steps that uh, I'm, uh, I'm not remembering right now. But that's going to be your best bet for those. OK, thank you. Thank you. Hi, I have two questions. One is, uh, how does these services relate to AWS Local? That's one. Uh, and number two is, uh, you know, we run scum streams, like, you know, would you recommend in, in Amazon or like, you know, in Amazon way, like, do you have all the skill sets within that scrum team, whether it's, whether it's DevOps and whatever is required to get thing done and out to production? Got it. Two questions there, if I can summarize. Is the first one about SAM local? No, no, AWS local. AWS local. I'm, I'm not as familiar enough on AWS Local, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to skip that question for the time being. But if you wanted to wait, we can, we can uh, chat here afterwards. Um, and then the, the other question, sorry, was that was about the do you have all the, the expertise within the same team? Yes. Is that kind of the question? Yeah. That's a, that's a, that's a really good question. I, I actually get this a lot. Um, there, there's, if you think about DevOps, the DevOps model is really about accelerating and getting your process moving faster. Um, that, is, that is really at the, the core of it. There, is, uh, there are a set of practices that you can use that you know, exist that you can learn from. But uh, it, there, people take uh, bits and pieces from different processes to put these things together. So for example, DevOps is really about having a single uh, set of individuals that have shared responsibility over both operations and development. And so you typically want both development and operations. Um, those are some of the big ones. Now, I have seen models where they add another layer. So they'll have like you know, a security person in there, 
or they have somebody that uh, specializes in you know, web applications. It really is about understanding your own process and what it takes to get that uh, deployed. Uh, within Amazon, we tend to have, you know, uh, the DevOps model is, is pretty strong. And then it's not infrequently you have team members that have stronger areas uh, than other team members. So you might have somebody that's a little bit more of an expert. I think that probably naturally occurs, especially the, the team sizes that, that we use. As teams get bigger, I have seen more specialization occur. Um, now, what Amazon has experienced is this two pizza team model works pretty well. Uh, if you get to a case where a service is so large scale that you have so much infrastructure that you're, you're sort of managing and monitoring, you know, maybe it makes sense to have somebody who's a little bit more specialized on the, op the operations part of it. So it really depends on the set of problems that you're solving in your particular process. Thank you. Hi, uh, I just wondered if um, this product integrates with containers, uh, Elastic uh, Container Service, for example, and also um, whether the, the tools provide a uh, mechanism to manage configuration data like environment settings and things. Got it. So the question about our uh, Elastic Container Service, uh, AWS ECS. Um, so there is a reference architecture. You can go search for this. Uh, I think it's posted in the AWS Labs portion of uh, GitHub. Um, and what you can use is you can use CloudFormation to actually set up and deploy the uh, ECS uh, containers and all the configuration for that. So that would be my recommendation for you. Check out, um, I, I believe it's the AWS ECS reference architecture, and it uses code pipeline uh, connected with source and build that does packaging and then ultimately deploys that using CloudFormation. Okay. Does that answer it? Yeah, yeah. At least second, partially. The second question was about the sort of configuration data. Just that's quite a common problem in, in DevOps is where you manage all the environment-specific information deployed with an application. Right. Uh, so this is like environment variables and, and whatnot. So this is an interesting problem. Again, there are many approaches that I've seen to this. Um, um, uh, if I recall, ECS, uh, I think it may support um, environment variables natively. Uh, I think AWS Lambda supports environment variables natively. So there's, there's kind of a two-part answer. Individual services may support things like environment variables. Um, they may support that directly, so that can be part of your configuration. The other way that I've seen this done very commonly is within the code, there will actually be a lookup call. So it's the same code that's running, and it will basically do a lookup for its stage and look for, let's say it's a DynamoDB table. So Dynamo is our NoSQL uh, database technology. Let's say that you have one Dynamo table for, um, say, uh, like a, a development or a beta stage, and then you have a different Dynamo table for the production stage. So the way that may work is, for that given stage, uh, the, the, the lookup will be dynamic. And so you'll actually get a Dynamo table back for that specific stage. So we, we see this uh, happen in a lot of different ways. Uh, somebody told me about a new tool that I'd never heard of last night that actually is a post step for setting environment variables locally. Can't remember what the one they were telling me about. So there's there's no um, one process. It, it really comes down to you know what is the process that works for your particular configuration and, and setup. But lots of different options. All right. Thank you. Hi. Oh, hello. Um, I'm I'm very new to all this, and I'm used to working on a local laptop with Tomcat running and. Um, I'm trying to figure out using the, what you've described, how I could do um, deploy code and then use a debugger in Eclipse, say, to step through the code and stop at breakpoints. Can you even do that? Yeah, so if I understand the question is effectively, how do I use a debugger in right. this cloud-based? So yeah. that, that's an interesting uh, question. Um, it will depend on the type of application. So if you're using Lambda, yeah. uh, Lambda is running in the cloud. We do have something called uh, SAM Local, which is kind of a local version that you can run that sort of emulates uh, some of this running in the cloud. Okay. If you're using, um, so you mentioned Eclipse and probably Java that you're using. Yeah, I'm using like building a jar with Spring Boot app, that kind of thing. Yeah, if you're running it uh, locally, um, you should be able to actually set the breakpoints within your IDE. Right. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to, also highlight in uh, the Visual Studio integration that we have. Sort of similarly, you can actually run the applications locally 
troubleshoot and debug those things. Obviously, if there are references to resources in the cloud, um, you know, you need to make sure that your, uh, your current environment has access to those things, probably for your application to run. But that is possible. I will claim that it, it is not necessarily something that we've uh, completely solved in terms of making that a seamless experience. So that is still something that, you know, uh, I think there's a lot of improvement that we can make there. But right now, the best bet is to use those, uh, those IDEs that you're currently using to run it locally. You might have some code that checks to see if it's running locally to look up different types of resources. Okay. So, yeah. so, so still really debugging locally and not... Yeah. In yeah. That. Okay. All right. Awesome. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Yeah. So um, one of the key elements you said, microservice architecture, right? Uh -huh. So if it is a new application, it's easy to start and use all these tools in a more meaningful fashion. But if it's an existing application, um, and so you have two paths. You can remodernize the application, put into you know those components, and then use. But that's upfront. You take a lot of time. Mm -hmm. Or you have another path you can do incremental. Mm -hmm. You're using the tools for you know some kind of software delivery. And but what we have found, or what once you have start using that incremental, you kind of stuck because then your modernization takes long time. Mm. Because then you are kind of hybrid, you know, using the hybrid solution. Right. Right. So you always in that situation um, because. Your benefit is limited when you start incremental. At the end of the day, you kind of stuck. But when you do modernizing the application, you take a long time because it's, it's a lot of focus on. And so what do you suggest for a large enterprise? Because I think for new applications, it's always, you know. Right. But for the existing application, it's or legacy application, it's kind of challenging because so many moving component and there's a lot of other aspects coming to the picture. So what you have seen in the enterprise, they, they focus on both or it's, it's kind of mixed? Uh, can, can I ask you what this application is, just structurally? Yeah, so it's a, it's a suite of apps okay. provide a particular functionality, let's say, you know, order functionality. You know, the portal, there is a web ass application, there is a order app, ordering application, there is a database behind, this is mm -hmm. all together a workflow, right? So in terms of, it's not, it's, in fact, it's five apps, but it's app suite of apps. It's not right. like, yeah. So typically what enterprise does, they do app by app. It's not app by app, it's full suite you mm -hmm. have to look at together, right? So, um, so this is web app, kind of front-facing customer and doing the ordering workflow. That mm -hmm. kind of app is this. Okay. Yeah. Um, well, I, I would, unfortunately, there's no uh, specific answer I can give you without uh, understanding quite, quite a bit more, but, but I'll give you some kind of high-level guidelines. Um, you, you know, the first step could be moving to a microservices architecture. That by itself might be the right for, first step. Mm -hmm. um, I've certainly seen cases where uh, customers have kind of started the, the process where they, they have an application that is, uh, it's kind of unwieldy, it's hard to update, it's hard to maintain, they don't have good visibility on it, and they, they go and they maybe try to surgically like take one little piece and that isn't necessarily uh, the, the best approach because it doesn't solve the sort of bigger problem. So one of the first things that uh, I recommend is you know, kind of taking a look at the overall process. What is taking the most time? I mean, this, this ultimate process is about moving faster, so you're trying to figure out where the time is being spent. Now, if the time is being spent uh, trying to piece all these things together, the first step might be to actually move to a microservices architecture. That might be the right step. Um, it really depends on the organizational uh, goals. If this is, a, is an application that you're, you're thinking about modernizing, no matter what, I definitely would say seriously consider starting by migrating to a microservices architecture before you start going down this path of trying to piecemeal things. So that, that is definitely a guideline. Now, if this is an application where you know, you're, you're, you look at it and it's like, well, we're not, we're not going to be doing a lot of updating, but we want this to be, um, we want this to be a little bit more manageable and uh, builds for some reason take a really long time for somebody to set up and get configured. Maybe that is the single piece. It really, you've got to think about that journey that you're on. If the ultimate journey is full CI, CD, um, you know, starting with, say, those practices of microservices is a really good place to start. It sounds like maybe you might uh, be a candidate for that. 
but that also means for most companies that's an initial larger investment that takes a little bit longer to pay off. And so yeah. that, that's kind of the bigger picture um, that we talk about with customers. I think you're right. Means, um, I think focus on the business problem. If your problem is just around getting the infrastructure built time, mm -hmm. not really paying attention to the application itself, uh -huh. you probably want to move into this just the incremental approach. Yeah. If it is a long-term directional applications, you want to focus more on doing the right thing to start. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I will mention uh, if your company has a, 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 an account manager or if you're interested in learning more, there's a, a center of excellence um, that you can search for. It's the AWS Center of Excellence. It actually talks about kind of some of the key pieces that you can think about in a little bit more detail than I've talked about here today. Sure. So that might be a resource that you go look up. Uh, it's the, I think it's the AWS Center of Excellence um, that you can go look for. Sure. Um, as maybe a, a starting point there. Sure, sure. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Great. Uh, I'm getting told that there's probably a talk in here right after this, so I'm going to take one more question, then I'm going to head out in the hallway and we can talk more. Go, go ahead and ask a question if somebody's got one. All right. Uh, so the uh, new feature of pull requests on code commit looks great. Um, great. Especially because our PR, private PR account is getting up there. Um, so my question would be, um, do those pull requests integrate with code build for things like commit statuses? Like, so you, you, you've got your pull request great. and then the commit goes off to code build and then you get some sort of status notification in, in that pull right. request? Right. Um, uh, I will say uh, not yet. Not yet, okay. <laughs> no, but uh, we are aware that many customers want that capability. Cool deal. Great, thank you. All right, I'll be out uh, there. Uh, thank you very much for uh, people asking questions.